they changed the they changed from this meeting is being recorded to recording in progress. Oh, mine still says this meeting is being recorded. Oh well, you must have a older I guess software. So. I'm gonna click got it though, so I'm gonna stay in. Okay. All right. Okay, so we're talking about seasons for the CrossFit athlete today, and we want to qualify this conversation with a couple things. First, in our last podcast, we talked about prerequisites for competing in the sport and being able to express dynamics appropriately. So from progressing from motor control to strength endurance to absolute strength and then into dynamics across the six major patterns, the critical switch that happens there once you can express dynamics appropriately. Once you have met those prerequisites and you, you can start to learn the sport and express the sport, learn the RX movements common inside the sport, um, and yeah, gain proficiency at those. What does your training year look like? The other qualifier for this conversation is that people come into the sport with a variety of, of different backgrounds. And so in our experience, we're looking at the 80% of clients who we interact with in our audience who come in with a variety of different backgrounds, usually high school level athletics, and they, they're getting into the sport and they, they want to explore their potential over the next three to five years and beyond in, inside the sport. So we're not talking about the, the new generation of athletes who have started CrossFit when they're 12. They've matured along with it and they can probably be more sport specific year round. We're not talking about people with uh, bodybuilding and weightlifting backgrounds. If you've done 10 years of that, then you're going to be set up really well to be more sports specific all year round. So we're speaking to the 80% of people who we see who come in with usually a high school level of uh, athletic experience and still need some amount of accumulation during the off season in order to be resilient to the intensity that they're going to get when it's time to compete. Yeah, no, that's about right. And your timing is great because we're in the middle of the open. So it's, it's a great way to think about like the training year when you're at one of the central events for the whole thing, everybody, whatever their goals are, has to go through this stage and we're right in the middle of it. So uh, the other thing that I heard you say was that it's the 80, 20, but what you're really saying there is we'll assess an athlete when we work with them. And if you're in one of those 20%, you're going to go down a slightly different path, which will probably not be discussed too much in this podcast, but if you're, and that, that 20% is your weightlifting background, your gymnastics background can already walk on your hands, can already snatch, you know, a huge multiple. So that's going to, we're going to go a different direction with those guys. This is about the 80%. So uh, your timing's great. Why don't you get into that? Yeah, for sure. No, that's good. Uh, we always start with assessment and we always individualize. So um, yeah, that cuts through anything that I'll say in this podcast is there's always going to be individual difference and that has to be respected. So, okay. So getting into the seasons for a CrossFit athlete, there's five different seasons. There's accumulation, intensification, pre-competition, competition, and deload. Accumulation phase lasts 200 days of the year. Intensification lasts about 60 days of the calendar year. You're in pre-competition for about 40 days of the calendar year. You compete for about 20 days a year. 
and you deload for about 20 days a year. So that's, uh, that's how the calendar year gets broken up and different training emphases go inside of each phase. So that's what we're going to get into. So in the accumulation phase, we're progressing upper body training from unilateral slow contractions. So we're keeping imbalances in check. We're developing strength and we move from there into strict and slow gymnastics contractions and gradually into dynamic volume building. So it's interesting that you talk about the phases in the training year. It's not in principle, it's not different from what you'd see for like a boxer or an MMA fighter preparing for a fight eight months away. They're not going to go to the gym and start sparring eight months out from the fight, right? They're going to, there's a conditioning aspect and they're going to work on different aspects of what they do. You're not going to be like, all right, you know what? My fight is in uh, December. So let's do, you know, 30 minutes of sparring. If you do that, you're only going to do it once. And then you're going to find a new coach and, and be smarter about it. So it's a, mm-hmm. the same kind of thing. You're preparing for a very intense event. That's competition. The way you prepare for it is staggered and sequenced. And you build up different aspects of your, your fitness in our case or your, your combat sports in their case. You're building it up over time. And you won't see the intensification and the, the near fight intensity sparring until you get closer to the competition. So here, what you're talking about is a series of, of principles be, being adopted from training elsewhere for the sport of fitness, which is... We're not going to go full on max intensity, you know, nine months out from your competition. So these aren't, I'm just bringing this up because you know this, Paul, but these aren't ideas that we made up. These are well-established principles for competitive athletes in other sports. And our needs in CrossFit are so much broader at the base between the gymnastics and the conditioning and the strength and the skill specific stuff that we're applying those principles to the sport of fitness and it's with its own challenges. Yeah. Totally. That's a great analogy. I love the fight analogy. If I had to summarize what you just said, it's periodization allows for consistency. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's right. That's, that's, that's what it is. It's like, you have to train consistently in order to accumulate enough training to have a higher peak build. You you have to build the base wider to allow for a higher, a higher peak in order to build a base. You have to be consistent in order to be consistent. You can't be doing intense things all the time. That's right. And you have to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. So we're just talking about principles before you get into specifics. I wanted to just say, wait, these are general principles that like athletes and strength and conditioning coaches know about across multiple disciplines. This is the sport of fitness specific implementation of those principles. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's just periodization. That's right. It's just periodization as a best practice. Yeah. Yeah. For training in any sport. That's right. Yeah. So go on. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so generally you're looking at, uh, in the upper body early on in the season, you're making yourself more resilient. You're, you're building up the structure to handle the dynamic volume that you're going to be able, you're going to have to accumulate later on. And right. so <laughs> that's what the accumulation phase looks like, uh, in the upper body. And, and, and we can actually be a little more specific when you talk about the volume, the upper body has to handle um, this is super, super true if you're a taller CrossFit athlete, but it's true for everybody. Your shoulders take a beating in the sport of fitness. And there's just no way around that. Even if your movement is flawless and you're a gymnast in the past, your shoulders are going to take a beating. It's just your weightlifting, that's shoulder intensive. Gymnastics is basically a shoulder sport. 
So if you have those backgrounds from when you're a kid, super, you're built for this stuff. But if you don't, and you started as you know, a young adult, then it takes some time to make sure that those structures are resilient. I think that's really one of the, the best words to use for this phase. It's like, this is the resiliency phase. So before you can do intense stuff, you need to demonstrate the resilience that you're talking about. So that, that's a specific implementation of this. Is like your upper body takes a beating, your shoulders can get hurt in CrossFit if you're not prepared for it. We want to make sure that doesn't happen because injured athletes can't train. And if you can't train, you can't compete. And if you can't compete, you know, then you're not a competitor. So yeah, the upper body, there's a lot of shoulder specific stuff into that. And all right, I'll give it back to you. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. It's all about, yeah, if you're not resilient, then you won't be consistent. And if you're not consistent, then you won't be able to peak. And if you can't peak, then you can't compete. Yeah, that's exactly it. So, um, yeah, I mean, to get even down further into the weeds with this, it's like, do you have a 300 pound bench press yet for a male? Yeah. You know, well, it's like if, if you don't have that. Parameters, which is super important, but I was trying to keep us out of the weeds because this could turn into a six hour podcast. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Just to say like, hey, if you're talking about being resilient in the upper body, that's really like big picture. We're talking about preventing shoulder injuries. Yeah. No, this is good. I, I'm going to go a little further down the rabbit hole, though. Okay, go ahead. So I'll bring us back. But okay. So so, a 300 pound close grip bench press for males. That is when you when you look at a really large data set of mixed modal athletes who succeed, and by succeed we define that as multi year careers in the sport. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. At a high level. Yeah. They yeah, yeah. all can do that. Okay. Agreed. So. So it is a KPI for longevity of a successful career in the sport. So now, if you don't have that, that's what the accumulation phase is for. So, and, and this, this gets into another point, which is, okay, we'll say my bench press is 225. Yeah. Why, don't, why don't I just do bodybuilding, power building for the next three to five years? I'm glad you're going this way. This is and good. then come back to the sport. Now, I, there, there's, I think there's, there's two different opinions about this among coaches in CrossFit. One says, looks at all the people who have been successful in the sport and looks at their sport backgrounds and sees that, that, that that's basically what they did. They came into the sport with that. So they were set up to be successful in the sport. So you can say, look, like, yeah, just get strong first. Don't worry about CrossFit. And then come back to it. Now, there's another group of coaches that takes a little bit more of an integrated approach and says, no, you have to build the chassis and the engine simultaneously. And if you build them, if you build the chassis all by itself and don't worry about the engine, then when you start building the engine, you're not going to be able to, you know, get proper expression there because... Mm -hmm the chassis is going to be too large and the engine is going to be underdeveloped and you're going to have this huge mountain to climb. And, and these coaches tend to think that integration and developing the chassis and the engine simultaneously is going to allow for a greater expression over the long term. So, so two different perspectives on that. Here's, 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 a, here's another perspective. You work with the athlete you have, right? It's like the first one we could call it like the Matt Fraser approach. If you're really super, super good at weightlifting, you know, certainly for the CrossFit world, he was like a national level weightlifter. If you're very, very good at weightlifting, well, 
it's a different kind of transition than if the first time you did a clean and jerk was when you walked into a CrossFit box, right? Exactly. So those two approaches are fine, but I think that defining the way to, the way to decide which one to use is who's the athlete you're working with, right? Mm-hmm. It, and I think that's kind of like the 80-20 segmentation is like, hey, you know what the performance parameters are to be, I don't know, a semifinalist. You can say you need that 300-pound narrow grip bench press, you need certain snatch-to-weight ratio, clean and jerk-to-weight ratio, et cetera. But you work with the athlete you have. Mm-hmm. So if the athlete comes to you and they have an enormous you know, endurance engine, cool, man, we're going to put that on the side and just maintain it while, you know, uh, Sam Briggs, right? Like if you're Sam Briggs, your engine's mm-hmm. good. We're going to work on mm-hmm. some other stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and we're going to make you a games champion as she did for herself. Or like if you're Matt Fraser and you can lift the world, cool, we're going to teach you how to run now. When Once he did that, you know, that's when he put the whole field in the rear view mirror. So like you work with the athlete you have, but if you have an athlete who's in that 80% group, who's like, yeah, I'm, I'm fit. I go to the gym. I've been going to the, you know, I, I played football in high school. I know how to lift but they don't know anything about cross-hip gymnastics or, you know, Olympic weightlifting is not good or that, that sort of thing. Then you got to work with the athlete you have and you have to move simultaneous parameters forward or multiple parameters forward simultaneously. Right. And that's really hard. Yeah. So that, that's kind of, it's like both of those approaches are valid, but I think the correct approach will be athlete specific. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so we'll come back to the seasons now and we'll, we'll, we'll try to stay, 30,000 feet far enough away that we're, we're close to the principles and not, not we'll getting try. a specific we avatar. Will try. We'll, we'll try. We'll uh, try. So, um, yeah, you need to be developing barbell absolute strength. That's another characteristic that you need in the sport. And so, uh, yeah, basically early on in the season, progressing that from uh, large loads, but moving them more slow long for longer time under tension, less taxing on the central nervous system, less taxing on the joints. Um, and then progressing that by, you know, uh, moving into, uh, expressing loads f- more quickly over time. So, so it's like, go from early in the season, it's like pause front squat. Then we're moving into front squat and then, you're, you're gradually making it tougher and tougher and more sports specific and more maximal mm-hmm. expression. Yeah. Okay. Strength, barbell strength, speed, another characteristic that you need in the sport early on. A lot of people, the, the 80% need technical intention at, at higher volumes. So they need more opportunities to refine their positions and get better at weightlifting. I mean, weightlifting is one of the, one of the, uh, you know, probably the highest skill component of CrossFit, I would say is, is weightlifting. It's up there. Um, and then, yeah, you're just gradually progressing that over time to higher percentages and more intense expressions. Um, lower body muscle endurance, um, aerobic system, metabolic conditioning early on in the season, it takes uh, more of a supportive role. So you're, you're airing on the side of volume and you're doing a lot of accumulation and you're still ventilating and you're, you're touching on the, the higher, higher output, higher ventilation, higher heart rate, mm-hmm. higher, you know, higher output stuff. Uh, but it's less frequent. And then it, you're making that uh, more and more sports specific and more and more intense throughout the accumulation phase. 
you know, so what you're not doing is like AMRAP 12 at high effort triplet, you know, you're, you're just not, just not really doing that um, so you're really like 200 days a year yeah. all the time. Well, so that's okay. So you said a couple of things. Let's, the one thing I want to add to that segment is there's no such thing for a CrossFit athlete. There's almost no such thing as too much endurance work. Almost no such thing. It only becomes too much when you either you need so much food that it takes away from your other training. But realistically, like if you're doing 45 minutes at zone two several times a week, you're fine. Like you're good. You know, I, I do a lot of work with CrossFit athletes on the conditioning side and we, we mix it up. But I always tell them, like, if you want to go longer on the endurance day, go longer. You're not going to do any harm to your, your long-term goals by doing that. By do any harm, I mean you're not going to create long-term overloading or fatigue by doing more endurance work. Of course, if you take it to an extreme, you know, I'm going to do one Ironman a month. Okay, you're no longer a CrossFit athlete. But within the realm of, like, the AMRAP 12 world where most CrossFitters tend to live, if you push that out to a 30 to 45 minute zone two session multiple times a week, that's not a bad thing to pair with high intensity, uh, like high, high load strength, uh, time under tension work, like pause front squats, et cetera. Because the zone two work is slow muscle fiber, low intensity, low central nervous system stress. So from a conditioning standpoint, you want to stay at this point mm -hmm. of the year while yeah. you're doing high time under tension, high force mm -hmm. stuff you might want to shift your conditioning a little more towards the zone two side. Of course, it depends on your situation, but for the 80%, it's just something to think about is you're not doing AMRAP 12, you're doing, you know, row 40 minutes at 158 pace, mm -hmm. you know, not super, super fast, 202 pace, just getting your heart rate up for that, for that prolonged period of time to impact the systemic aspects of, you know, of, um, of, um, how you build your engine. So heart, lungs, and blood. That, that's your zone mm -hmm. two stuff. At this point, yeah. I think most athletes would be biased in that direction. And by the way, that would be true with your, your fighters and your boxers too. That's the long road work sessions. Right. Yeah, I would emphasize something you said like three or four times, which is zone two. And mm -hmm. zone two, that's an indicator that you're keeping the intensity down. But mm -hmm. And uh, I will also say that 158 might be a zone two pace for Matt Webke. It is not I a zone two pace for most people. It's, it's not like a lot of people, that's, yeah. that's what I want to emphasize because just because you can hold that pace for 40 so minutes, I'm, I'm glad you stopped. That. Yeah. Yes, it yes. has to be low enough intensity for what I'm. Yeah. And you said I'm, zone two over and over again, but I'm just I'm emphasizing that because yeah. so many people, even, even just the, sometimes the activity itself, the athlete isn't able to make it sustainable. Like a mm -hmm. lot of people can't make rowing sustainable. Mm -hmm. Like not, tr it's not truly aerobic and sustainable. It's, mm -hmm. it's like most people, if you ask them like what their zone two pace was for a 60 minute row, they have no freaking idea. They have no idea. They're, they oh, don't know. They don't know what it's like to row at a 220 for, for a male, right? Row right, 220 right. for an hour because yeah. they've never done it. And, and even for, even for some CrossFitters, unless you have an yeah. extensive aerobic background, Sure. No, that's fair. You're, that's you're fair. getting up. You're like, you may row 220 for 60 minutes and you might be, you might be getting into, you know, fatigue. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, fair. so especially if you're not strong enough, you're rowing on too high of a damper, you know? So anyways, I, I just, um, you said it over I, and yeah. over again, you said zone two, but I just want to emphasize that it has to no, be sustainable. A lot of people yeah. can't make running sustainable. There's right. too much eccentric loading. They're not right. skilled enough right. at running. 
and their structure is not, they haven't accumulated enough running to make 40 to 60 minutes of running sustainable. So don't, so don't hear this and say, Oh, I got to go for like multiple five mile runs a week. It's like, no, you're not going to be able to make that sustainable unless you're, unless you're a 10 K or beyond endurance athlete, which you're not. What we're really saying here is that your conditioning needs to be at an intensity and volume such that it doesn't cross over into fatiguing anything else. And that's often fairly low intensity at this point in the training. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, it has to be supportive almost to the point that it's recovery work, Mm -hmm. like to the point that it's, it is, you perceive it as that you perceive it as almost supportive and not challenging in how you, you get off the runway and you're like, okay, yeah, I feel good. Like you're not, not not all of it, but most of it. Yeah. Addition to 80, 20, 80% of your conditioning at this point should be that lower intensity. 20% could be a little more, but not, not anything more than that. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, I think you're, yeah, that 20%, even, even at the very start of the off season, I think you're still touching on like, Mm -hmm. you're still touching on that higher ventilation, like 85, 90% like Mm -hmm. effort type stuff for shorter duration, for shorter Mm -hmm. durations. I think you're still doing, you're still doing that at least once a week. But, Mm -hmm. and again, it depends on the person. This is hard to do. It's hard to do. We're trying to, we're trying to like, get into the weeds, but speak to a lot of people. So it's, we're, we're in tension there. Okay. So this phase of the season, let's see if we can get back up in the sky. Zoom out. Okay. High time under tension, low intensity conditioning is what you're looking for. Yeah. For a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, For a lot of people. 80%. (laughs) Okay. All right. Let's talk about intensification now. So Mm -hmm. we talked about accumulation. Now we're in intensification 60 days out of the year. So you're ramping up for your competition. Your, your upper body work for most people, you need to be, uh, you've started to build volume with those dynamics in accum- mm-hmm. at the end of accumulation. Mm-hmm. You're getting into intensification. You're, you're getting towards that functional volume or at mm-hmm. that functional volume, which just means for strict handstand pushups, you're, you know, you're around 50 inside of a session for ring muscle mm-hmm. ups. You're around 40 inside 30 or 40 inside of a session for most athletes. Um, that's all functional volume means. It just so, means those gymnastics skills. What does the sport demand that you, that you're able to express in a time constrained environment? So you're taking that, that amount of volume and you're progressively challenging it more and more with harder and harder contexts from easy aerobic work to tougher aerobic work to mixed work that's complementary to non-complementary mixed work and non-complementary just refers to the muscle endurance demands inside of it so so that's awesome um non-complementary we did a thing early 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 in the games lab before there was a t-shirt before there was even a year of the engine where we tried to figure out which exercises were correlated with each other because at age 38 and masters didn't start until 45. I needed to find a way to compete with the young guys. Now, fast forward to the end. I could not compete with the young guys, but I was looking for ways to <laughs> train smarter. So I was like, all right, are chest to bar uh, pull-ups correlated with toes to bar? If so, can I do only like a lot of one and a little of the other? And we started doing workouts with like negative correlations. And the most negative correlations, which you refer to as non-complementary, are deadlifts and ring muscle-ups. <laughs> yeah 100% non-complimentary if you're yeah. very good at one very good at one you're probably not that great at the other 
I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. That was based on data from the open. I had all the spreadsheets and I did all the basic analytics when you could like, when I had to copy paste the open data off the old leaderboard, you know, I was sitting there with the computer trying to figure this out. Like, how does Matt get fitter faster than a 22 year old? Uh, The answer is go see your doctor and get a prescription. I did not do that. (laughs) But um, I was trying to do with data, not with chemistry. Um, (laughs) And and so I got into some interesting things. And the only the only thing I proved with any statistical validity was that rope climbs make every other upper body thing better. (laughs) If you have a rope and not a pull up bar, you're actually all good. You're fine. You're fine. Yeah. Often. Climb it. Yeah. Climb it, like put, like put your food at the top of the rope. <laughs> put your bathroom, oh, your toilet's up there. Like, all right, you know, like, I'm gonna find the rope. So, like, make it, so that, that was, when you say complimentary and not complimentary, I, I just, that's a really cool way of thinking that I, I didn't, I didn't dive too into because it wasn't a ton of data on it. But, but as I've done it over the year, I'm like, yeah, that, you can kind of figure it out. So, yeah, that's a cool way to think. And, and, and um, I really like it. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll uh, define a little bit more uh, mm-hmm. that progression. What I mean by non-complementary risk. Let me just ask you one other question. At this phase, where are we in the calendar year versus like the timing of the open? Yeah. So, well, because the open is the biggest event for everyone, mm-hmm. uh, there's sort of a 90 day window okay. when your training gets specific. But, but I would say that uh, for most people, it benefits them to compete twice a year rather than just mm-hmm. once a year. Now this mm-hmm. is, this is for the person who's like, okay, you've got 10 to 15 unbroken ring muscle ups. Like you're, yeah. you're actually like ready to express the open really. Mm-hmm. Uh, RX, you know? And, and so um that person, they, they generally benefit from competing in the fall as well, mm-hmm. just because they need, they need kind of multiple peaks inside the year. And it helps you stay interested in the sport and engage in the sport in touch with it. So, so generally I like to do a, a four week intensification in the fall. And then mm-hmm. that builds up to usually like an in-person competition because a lot of people, mm-hmm. If you only compete online and you're never getting right. that in-person right. touch, then that's a whole skill in and of itself, timing your mm-hmm. meals and, you know, oh, yeah. when is your heat star and everything. So, mm-hmm. um, so uh, that's, I like that for most people, Yeah, 30 day intensification and then a, um, uh, an in-person competition in the fall, take some time mm-hmm. off, recoup, uh, lick your wounds and then accumulate a bit more. And then I would say really 30 days out from the open is when you start to get really intense. Again. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. And then if, if the open is your, is your true like yeah. event, right? Well, it's a, it's a central frame of reference for everybody. So it makes sense to use that as your guideline. Yeah. And I would say that the, the person I'm describing here is, is, is pretty comfortably going to make it into the quarterfinals. Yes. So you intensify up to the open and then the open becomes your pre-competition phase. Sure. Sure. So I'll you're, yeah. You're you're pre you're preparing you're doing quarterfinal simulations around the open workout. Mm-hmm. You're getting ready for that that three day five event test of mm-hmm. the quarterfinals, and that's really cool. like that's really your your Super Bowl. Yep, got it. So okay, so um, but back to you're at functional volume with your dynamics, mm-hmm. and you're making it progressively more challenging during intensification, and so it's mm-hmm. like 
okay, in accumulation at the end, we're doing like you're, you're biking at 60 RPM for 20 minutes. And then every four minutes you're getting off and you're doing some ring muscle ups, some handstand pushups, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> yep. And so the, the context around the dynamics is, is really easy aerobic work and it's easy to, you know, build volume <laughs> of the dynamics that way. For, for people and once who have, you're, who have- then once you're at, once you're at functional volume, then we're starting to, okay, we're increasing the challenge around which we express that volume. So it's harder to express the volume when you're on a cyclical machine and it's for time <laughs> and it's like, you know, 12 cows, eight handstand pushups, four ring muscle ups, five rounds for time, something like that. Right. Yeah. So you're having to push the machine a little bit more. Yep. Yep. You're not fully recovered before your next set and you're, you're increasing the aerobic challenge. And then, then you add mixed work and that becomes even more challenging. So it's like kettlebell swing, um, box jump, bring muscle up, something like that. Okay. So we're getting into mixed work, but it's, it's not really competition movements. It's, it's still challenging more than the, than the machine. So you have some eccentric loading with the other yep. movements, but it's, it's not as challenging as like competition level and then competition or, 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 you know, the peak of challenging the skill yes. is like mixed work with non-complementary movements. And when I say non-complementary, I mean the muscle endurance challenges of each movement degrade your ability to express the other movement. So you have like multiple pushing <laughs> patterns, like, like burpee handstand pushup, or you have sure. yeah, multiple yeah. pulling patterns, like, um, hang power snatch ring muscle up, you know? So it's like, you're, you're just, it's a total like muscle endurance challenge. And that is where we see the rate or the reps per minute of athletes go down the most to its lowest level. And, you know, at the high levels, the rate of some, uh, of an elite athlete in a non-complimentary, uh, you know, movement scenario is still close to that like 20 reps per minute mark it's still very still quite high and that's what that's that's what a lot of people are expressing in like a you know if you think about okay 20 reps per minute you're thinking about like what is your 10 minute assault bike time trial can you do 20 reps per minute on that you know what i'm saying and that's like a much lower level of of course of challenge it's like that's what 20 reps per minute is and that's only for 10 minutes you yep. know, the, the last open test, the, the first open test was 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. So it's like, do you really think that you're going to hold, you know, 20 reps per minute? And that can help you anyway, that can help you like manage your expectations for what, what you're going to be able to express yeah. in a, inside an open workout. Okay. And then strength work during intensification. It's like, it's supportive of the dynamic volume that you're building. Cause you want to keep the central nervous system, like primed and and you're still like trying to keep some support in there so it's it may be like three sets a week or like of tough like dumbbell bench press and like dumbbell row but it's Mm -hmm. it's it's like a very small number of reps and it's just like a touch for the central nervous system Mm -hmm. and and keeping you keeping you um you know primed and it really takes a back seat to all the dynamic work that you're doing so on the, no, that's that, that's good. I just want to point out something you said, like as part of the the intensification process. I think you gave an example of like sixty minutes on the bike at low intensity, and every few minutes jump off and do four ring muscle ups or something. 
and and you you said something like at an easy pace. I just want to point out for anybody who tries this at home that although you may be fairly proficient at muscle ups, once you introduce a conditioning modality, even at low intensity, they get a lot harder. So if you're just if you're just biking along, you know, let's say your time trial is 18 calories a minute, and you're biking along at 14, 13, not going super hard, but keep moving a little bit, and you jump off and do ring muscle ups, it's going to be a lot tougher. So just just keep that in mind. Like, don't try this and go. Wait, I thought I was good at ring muscle ups. Now I'm terrible. No, no, no. You're not terrible. You're still good, but you just up the challenge load quite a bit. So how that plays into this conversation is intensification is very, again, of course, it's athlete specific, but it's, it's, you don't need to ramp up to full on intensity to get the benefits of intensification. It's a gradual process. It's not like, okay, today we're going to do Fran. And then at minute 10, we're going to do Fran again. And then we're going to do Grace. No, no, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's Matt 2013, right? That's not smart. <laughs> My Matt has injuries, but, um, yeah. And, and, and so on. But like the intensification process, you can achieve a lot of intensification physiologically without massive changes to your training. Yeah. You achieve a lot. So that's what I'm really trying to say. Yeah. No, that's good. And for some people, yeah. Fran repeats every five minutes in intensification. That could be totally appropriate if you're in that, in that 20% percent you're elite. Probably very few people. And you're, and, then, and you're really expressing it really well. Yeah. And probably you're, you're like the other, the other your power output staying similar. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm yet to meet that person. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the other point you made, which I really like is the, the example of like introducing the kettlebell and the box jump over as like, that's not as intense as what you're going to see in on competition day where it might be like hang power snatches and ring muscle ups and things that are completely non-complimentary and even adverse to each other mm-hmm. that just by introducing something like a box and a kettlebell, which are like fairly low complexity training implements, you can get 85% of the stimulus mm-hmm. of competition day with a, And of course that's an estimate, but try it. You'll see what I mean. Mm-hmm. You don't need like hang power snatches and double unders and ring muscle ups to get competition intensity. If you do that, mm-hmm. boom, you got it. But mm-hmm. you can keep it simple with heavy kettlebell swings and mm-hmm. jumping over a box, moving your body vertically, moving a heavy load, like a kettlebell, you'll get the same stimulus without the aggregate fatigue on both your muscles and central nervous system. So I thought that was a really great point as like a, like a medium step along the journey to intensification. First, you're going to use the, you know, the slow aerobic stuff interspersed with some skills work. It's going to get a lot tougher. And the next step is like, all right, you know what? We're not going to go full competition intensity, but we're going to get much of that with again, like low complexity training implements. Like you want to get tired, you know, do jump over box. Like you'll get tired. (laughs) You know, so it's, it's, uh, that's a really good, a good, uh, hierarchy and progression of, of how that might work. Really good examples. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I would say the, the guiding principle is that over the course of the year, the closer you get to competition, the more your training resembles the competition. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and yeah, we're just kind of stratifying that. Okay. So in intensification, your barbell absolute strength you're you're inside of tough sports specific expressions so mm-hmm. it's like build to a tough set of four front squats in 20 yeah. minutes or less right right it, it's like you're, you're not failing any reps but you're you're getting towards that those maximums mm-hmm. of what you can really express in like a set of five to one mm-hmm. front squat overhead squat um I, I tend not to use deadlift because it's it's too taxing on the central nervous system yep. um yep, yep. 
and it rarely gets tested. Uh, right. But okay. Uh, strength speed, same thing. You're into you're into tough reps now, mm-hmm. and you're you're getting into battery work. And battery work just means um, 85 to 92 percent, really, of of maximums with incomplete rest. Mm-hmm. And so you're doing tough singles, and then you're letting the body recuperate. You're you're using that that first energy system, which we'll have another podcast on energy systems, but <laughs> but just to allude to it. Um, uh, so you're replenishing that with like, you know, incomplete rest, and then you're doing, you know, tough reps near your maximum again. And that's also very taxing on your central nervous system. And that's, that's why it's reserved for intensification because mm-hmm. you know, it's tough to do that over the course of the whole year and be consistent and, and consistently adapt to something like that. Um, yeah, just cause it's, it's taxing on you. So, and then you're, um, yeah, your aerobic work, you're starting to get into four time work um, that resembles the competition mm-hmm. and gradually making the movements more sports specific and resembling the competition more. And this is, a, you know, around the time where you need to start doing anaerobic work for the sport of fitness. So and you progress anaerobic work from everything from, you know, 10 seconds of 10 seconds on the assault bike every minute on the minute really hard um, to all the way out to three minutes you know, and, and three minutes, generally you're getting into, into mixed expressions with bar facing burpees. And it's yep. really not to get into the details of anaerobic work, but it's gotta be really high turnover. So it, you can't have, um, it's, it's, uh, you gotta have consistent rate over that, over the course of that three minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, movement selection is important inside of that as well, but maybe we'll Ooh. have to do another podcast on that. Yeah, that, this is this is a, a whole different topic, and I'm going to give the two-second version of it right now. On your anaerobic work, glycolytic work, number one, be careful with how much of it you do. Number two, watch the power output carefully. Because if the power output drops during anaerobic or glycolytic work, it means that muscle fibers are very fatigued, and it means the biggest, strongest ones are very fatigued. And those don't come back fast. So if you want to do something like – you and I have had this conversation. We're not going to get into it now. If you want to do like 30 seconds on, three minutes off, you know, top end glycolytic stuff on the assault bike, that's fine. That one to six work to rest ratio is cool. If you get to rep round three and you're not recovering in round four, if you're like 20 cows, 20 cows, 16 cows, stop. Yeah. Stop because you're, you're not at this point in the training year, you're now fatiguing very powerful, high glycolytic muscle fibers and you need them for strength work. And they don't come back fast. It doesn't matter how many carbs you eat. It doesn't matter how much you sleep within reason. They don't come back fast at the top end. So for your anaerobic work, be very attentive to consistency of power output. Now, I know in some other training environments, I've said just push through it. Yes, there are times for that. But at this point in the year, when you're layering in the anaerobic work, watch the power output very carefully. Um, and then the, the second thing is, this is a controversial take that's going to need another podcast, but I'm willing to defend it on that other podcast. You don't need a gigantic glycolytic system to do well at CrossFit. And the example of a gigantic cross, uh, glycolytic system is someone who could like, you know, like a 400 meter runner is your sweet spot for the you know, 200 meter sprinter. That's your like 20 to 40 seconds is your sweet spot for the glycolytic system. You don't need a monstrous glycolytic system to do well at CrossFit because very few of the events are max effort under one minute. 
unless it's a one rep max, which is a whole different animal. So I'm not saying neglect the anaerobic system. Please don't do that. But <clears throat> you're doing it right by saying bring it in late in the game and don't overdo it. I think your, your layout's perfect for this. And that's another podcast. So that's enough of that. Yeah, we could we could talk uh, for a long time about yeah. training runners, and whether those whether those runners, yeah, even yes. are super glycolytic or super aerobic. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, yeah, no, that's good. I love that. Be be sustainable. On because the, the reason work. I say that is, you can ruin your whole training year with ill-timed anaerobic work. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm speaking from yes. experience, buddy. You can do yeah. it. You can do it. <laughs> and and. You can do it. And your other systems, your aerobic system and your, um, your, your ability to express top end contractions, uh, get worse They get wrecked. when you're, exactly. when you're, when you're training yes. aerobic work. So, I have so yeah. this is, it, this is important because you have to time that anaerobic build to where you're stopping it soon enough before the competition so that those other systems can recover and allow for maximal expression in the competition. So yes. it's like a booster. For those other systems, it's a huge stress adaptation yes. that you get in response to it. So you often see those other systems bump up after you stop the anaerobic training. Yes. And that's what we're looking for. So you've got to stop that like within a few weeks, uh, uh, really yes. like depends on the person, but I, I like two weeks really before like they're expected to like really be, you know, in yes. their competition to, uh, yep. to cut that off so that you yes. can actually experience the benefits just be careful with it it's playing with fire use correctly playing with fire Fire move the human race forward in (laughs) bounds incorrectly you don't have a house anymore yeah yes yeah no that's really good points matt Mm -hmm. okay so now we're in pre-competition so this is 40 days out of the year and this is like what what a lot of our clients are in right now Mm -hmm. competing in the open and um you know, it's the most stressful time of the year because you're getting those competitive touches and mm-hmm. you're really preparing for maximal expression over the weekend of the quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this is where really you're doing, you're doing, uh, you're simulating the competition. That's really what pre-competition yes. is. So yeah. without, without getting into, you know, the details of what that is that you're, you're testing, you're testing the athlete. Mm-hmm. with with sport specific uh sport specific tests and there you know there are considerations for each individual inside of this like how much how much support do they need inside of this and i mean yeah it it really is like you're you're not you don't want to be thinking about anything but maximal expression like this is what sport is about it's about getting to this phase and really performing and uh, if you've accumulated enough training and you're expressing appropriately, then, um, you know, this should, this is a really, this is a really exciting time of, yeah. of year where you're, you're getting to, to see what, what the car can do and mm-hmm. competition is you're, you're competing and, mm-hmm. and that's what it's all about. And then after that you deload and, and you do nothing, you know, you actually do nothing. And that, that, I think that's important to mention because that's a real challenge for a lot of athletes in our sport. So, so this is, I know you're pushing through this and, and you're spot on, but deloading is a real challenge. So CrossFit is, is, is an attractive training modality because you get to be intense and compete with people all the time. That's why a lot of us got into it and that's why we stayed in it. And that's why, like me, I joined, I, I joined the right gym for me. A lot of younger guys, very competitive, 
post your scores. How'd you do today? Happy you had see tomorrow, bitch. But um, it was like you need what you're talking about is actually stepping away from that over the year because there's always there's always in every CrossFitter and every competitive CrossFitter there is desire to go hard. And you're saying that for a lot of the year, you need to like put the brakes on that desire, and like yeah, you want to jump. I get get this email all the time. I'm sure you do too. Hey, can I jump in a Metcon with my class sometimes? Absolutely. Yes, you can. But if you're jumping in 12 Metcons a week with the class, you've lost the plot. <laughs> if it's a fun workout and you want to do snatches and you like bar muscle ups, yeah, like it's not on the training plan, but eight minutes of intensity is not going to wreck the plan. If it becomes 108 minutes of intensity every week and the other stuff is going out the window, again, you're not on the plan anymore. You're on your plan. Fine. But don't come to me if your plan doesn't produce the results. I said it would because it's not you're doing your own thing now. So there's there's desire. It's 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 like a like a healthy addiction. Like I want to do another metcon. Like, All right, cool. It's fun as hell. And like the people in the class, you have to balance that pull against. And that's like that's one of the greatest challenges as a coach. I want to do this. It's more intense. Like no, you're in the you're in the like build up phase. We're, we're getting mileage and reps now, buddy. We're not gonna like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not going to retest your your you know fourteen point five right now. Please don't do that. <laughs> That's uh, thrusters and burpees for those not keeping score at home. Uh, so, uh, um, you know, we're, so it's 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 yes. There's always going to be a desire to jump into class, but but that that like do nothing, like do nothing extra because you can overtrain so easily in the sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, that's the story of my life. Is like, how come I'm not getting better that fast? I work really hard. Oh, wait a minute rest they have that so again like the do nothing phase is is certainly the phase after competition where you kind of shut it down and relax and like let your body recover from the from the preceding 10 months of stress and the competition experience but also throughout the acclimation phase and the other parts of the year just do what your coach asks you to do and do nothing else (laughs) you know within reason you want to jump in that class metcon once a week god bless you go do it but don't do more than that. Like stick to the plan. So the, you, I'm getting into this tangent and I'll stop now because you said do nothing is really hard for a lot of CrossFitters. Indeed it is. That's why we do what we do. But do nothing extra is really hard for a lot of CrossFitters at any time in the training year. And mm-hmm. you can see these posts on the internet like just join the gym. Should, should I do a supplemental strength program? Like just join the gym. No, you should not. <laughs> <laughs> your body does for you know and like i want to be like no you couldn't do that no don't do that you've encountered a new stimulus see how your body reacts to it and over time as you get that feedback we can adjust your training in accordance with your goals you know it's like a copy paste answer but it's a copy paste answer because it's true mm-hmm. the same thing of like yeah. do do nothing is a real challenge and I, i've emphasized that five times now so i'll stop but yes yeah that's really good I, I have one final thought that I want to mm-hmm. that, that I want to just yeah. leave everyone left with who's gotten this far uh, with us in this conversation is uh, yeah really it's about consistency that that's why we're having this conversation is mm-hmm. is um, uh, this this uh, best practice from other sports of periodization allows for greater consistency over a longer period of time sure. and yes. I think that that, you know, uh, goes against a lot of people's expectations for what they expect to get out of the sport. I think the years of, uh, 
Yeah, I, I played a high school sport and, you know, I've been doing CrossFit for three years. I think, I think I'm pretty good. It's like, I'm going to make that's, the regionals back yeah, in the day, right? Back in the day. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, I'm maybe make 2011, yeah. but, but it's, yeah. it's not that way anymore. And so, um, it's, it's really about, okay, do you have a decade of this yet? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and, and that's, um, a decade of the right consistent accumulation. Yeah. And, and so, I think that that's important to say to just, you know, manage your expectations and really confront that, really ask yourself that if you're, if you're looking to get into this sport and um, you know, you're, you're looking to express your potential uh, that's, you know, you, you can participate in it for less than that. Just manage mm-hmm. your expectations of, of um, you know, what you expect to be able to express and, what sort of competitions you'll be able to to participate in and things like that, mm-hmm. because it's, it's really, um, you know, it's getting up to that decade uh, level now where, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect to, to win Kona if you'd been doing Ironman for three years, you know, right. you wouldn't expect that. Yeah. And so our sport is maturing and this periodization allows for greater consistency over a longer period of time. Spot on.